you so much for being here. I'm really excited about this episode with Jonathan Robinson. He's the author of the new book, The Enlightenment Project, and he has a lot of experience. He's been a spiritual seeker for 40 years, and he has interviewed some of the leading spiritual leaders of our time, um, including the Dalai Lama and Ram Dass and Mother Teresa, and he has been a frequent guest on The Oprah Show, so he has a ton of experience. He um, And his new book is really great for exploring enlightenment, and we'll get a lot of information about this book in this um in this episode, but it he offers a lot of interesting perspective on spiritual seeking, some of the the newer methods that are out here that that are out now that um, are very effective, but we may not hear about because we we might lean a lot on more of the ancient teachings. Um, I really love a comparison that he gives where he says, you know, we aren't using computers for twenty years ago but we're using spiritual practices from 2000 years ago and not that there's necessarily anything wrong with them but we we want to stay open in case those methods maybe think that we make us think that we aren't good meditators for example he talks about his own experience with meditation and he had a really hard time um quieting his mind using those ancient methods. And he, um, so he's done a lot of seeking. We talk about the guru disciple relationship. We talk about enlightenment and the different levels and types of enlightenment and how it may not be what you think it is. And he finishes by talking about a really fun miracle um, and, and mysterious, magical experience that he had recently. Um, so be sure you listen to the end for that part. And do check out his book. It's called The Enlightenment Project. And I also invite you to connect with me. I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at Kara underscore Goodwin underscore meditation. I'm on Facebook at Kara Goodwin Meditation, and you can check out my website at karagoodwin.com. I've got lots of meditation resources for you out there, a lot of ways that we can connect, and I can help you to um, accelerate your own journey. So if that's something that you'd be interested in, please do check out the website, karagoodwin.com. And I hope that you love this episode as much as I did. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I am joined by Jonathan Robinson. Jonathan is a psychotherapist, best-selling author of 14 books, and a professional speaker from Northern California. He's spent more than 40 years studying the most practical and powerful methods for personal and spiritual growth. Over the years, he's interviewed some of the most influential spiritual leaders of our time, including the Dalai Lama, Ram Dass, and Mother Teresa. And he's been a frequent guest on The Oprah Show, which is fabulous. His latest book is called The Enlightenment Project, which I am enjoying immensely. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm looking forward to it. This will be fun. 
So as I mentioned, I'm loving The Enlightenment Project, your latest book. Can you talk about the inspiration for it? Yeah. You know, um, many years ago, there was a book called The Happiness Project about a woman who tried all the positive psychology methods to see if she could be happier. I realized that I've been kind of on a similar quest to find how to be enlightened. So I've interviewed over 100 spiritual teachers, you know, ranging from the Dalai Lama and Deepak Chopra to uh, Byron Katie, Adyashanti. If you heard of them, I probably interviewed them. Uh, I have a podcast called Awareness Explorers where I interview such people. And I wanted to find out what actually works, you know, kind of like the greatest hits and Mm -hmm. share some of the stories of what it's like to be around these people. And some of them became friends of mine, which I'm, I'm happy to say. And, uh, you know, it's been a wild ride. I've had an unusual life. I wanted to share kind of the best information because a lot of people have total uh, wrong ideas about enlightenment or how to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about enlightenment because I think the common understanding is that one is either enlightened or not. And that enlightenment is reserved for those who have completely immersed themselves in only in only spiritual living, such as a Tibetan monk, you know, is kind of the the standard example. And in your book, you talk about levels of enlightenment, which I found really intriguing and insightful. So can you talk about the like just talk about levels of enlightenment rather than the on off enlightenment (laughs) yeah sure you know only in the last 15 years has it been studied a lot scientifically and when they studied it they realized that there's really like four or five different types of enlightenment you know and some of them your average person might touch on for a few minutes here and there you know you're watching a sunset and you're fully immersed in it and you feel like one with your environment. Well, a lot of people have had that experience for a few minutes, but some enlightened people have that all the time. Or some enlightened people are in a state of pure love all the time. Uh, So there's levels, there's different types, and there's different methods that lead to the different types. So what the science has revealed is that some methods like Hatha Yoga or certain meditation methods almost never lead to enlightenment, and other methods, which are not very known, lead to it very consistently for people who might do it for like a month. So this is really blew everybody away because it was unexpected. So in, in the Enlightenment Project book, I tried to describe the methods that show consistently seem to work really well, at least for giving glimpses of enlightenment, if not persistent enlightenment. So what would be sort of the the deciding factor that would tip the scales as to whether, you know, because when you're talking about scientific research, there are boundaries within like, you know, we have to have guardrails to know what we're measuring. Mm-hmm. So what would be like the the measurements that would be used to determine to determine? So if you're saying, for example, the methods that don't actually lead to enlightenment, what is the the state that they're measuring that by? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of measures uh, called EMG, which is muscle tightness. There's uh, EEG. There's been shown that certain brainwave patterns, uh, the most advanced monks seem to consistently have. And 
if you can find your way to that brainwave pattern, you're probably feeling pretty good, which tends to associate with feelings of bliss and love and deep peace. So often advanced EEG machines, but there are also self-report. You know, um, how does it feel to be in this state? And somebody says, this feels amazing. Let's, you know, whatever I can do to stay here, let's do that. So it's a combination of various measurements. But there is no one view that this is, you know, the state of enlightenment. I think we all go into higher and lower states of consciousness throughout our life. The question is really what method or idea will help you take the next step to have that be more consistent. And now there's research that shows that, you know, this works and that doesn't. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's so interesting. I, I love also how you address spiritual seeking in your book, because one of the things that I was a little bit dubious about at first was the fact that um, there's so many gurus that are mentioned kind of Mm -hmm. in in your book and and in the kind of leading up to as you get going in it. And I I have mixed feelings about the guru disciple framework in in this day and age. And um, but very early in your book, you address this relationship and the changing needs of humanity in terms of gurus. So and you have your own experience of, of following a guru for over 20 years. So can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts and experiences with gurus? Yeah, you know, there's an upside and downside to that. Um, the upside is that, you know, it used to be that they were the only ones that had the secret knowledge. Now, a lot of people do. You can find it on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. So the use of gurus isn't quite as important as it used to be. But, you know, just like if you're trying to learn tennis, you know, you probably want to find somebody who's a great tennis player and they can give you a bunch of tips. So I think of it the same way. Your guru doesn't have to be the most famous teacher in the world. It might be somebody who just uh, inspires you. My first guru was my seventh grade English teacher, you know, or my uncle. Mm -hmm. And later I, I met all the other famous gurus and some of them worked for me. Some of them didn't. There was one guru I spent over 20 years with and he was incredibly helpful, if nothing else, for kicking my butt and making sure I didn't just rest on my laurels. So mm-hmm. there's different types of gurus. But you know, if you think of it in terms of, can I find somebody who inspires me, who knows a little bit more about meditation than I do, or who knows a little bit more about relationships than I do, or knows a little bit more about opening your heart than I do, then I think you can avoid the some of the pitfalls of just following somebody and becoming a follower, which isn't generally a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I am, I have seen, you know, it, at, of late, you know, and in, in relatively speaking, but the guru thing, you know, is it gets tossed around a lot in terms of people, you know, putting that hat on and then it's, you know, very intriguing to get you in, to get you in the door. Yeah. And then, you know, it's actually a destructive um, relationship, which is something that we have to be on guard for, you know, which is, it's really a shame that so often spiritual teachings are, are used in that way because it's very tricky. You know, you're really mm-hmm. vulnerable and you're kind of 
handing yourself over in trust of like, oh, this is somebody who's inspiring me and they, they seem further down the path. And, and, um, so we, you know, in that vulnerable state, you know, there's this submission that happens Mm -hmm. that is, um, can be taken advantage of. So I know one of the things too, that as I'm listening to your book, I'm, I'm picking up on this curiosity within you and this encouragement of people to not stay stagnant, you know, to really kind of be in the driver's seat of their own seeking and exploring. Um, You know, I've had, I think my first sort of step onto a, a, path, you know, of non-traditional, because we've got like the religious upbringing that you just mm-hmm. sort of fall into uh, when you're born that it's like, okay, well, I guess this is what God is because this is what my family's doing, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And I know that you've had that too. You were born Jewish and then you, through your guru, you had a lot of exposure even to Christianity. And um, But when I came outside of traditional kind of religion, my first kind of uh, teachings were following a, a long deceased guru. So it was an mm-hmm. organization that was sort of built around a guru that had already left the body. And it really, really served me for a year or two years, or I can't remember, um, but for a really important period of time where it really helped me to like build this foundation and get like this this solid footing from meditation methods and, um, and philosophies and kind of concepts, ways to, ways to pray, ways to chant, ways to, you know, all of these things. And it really helped to build me out. And then what was, what I found was happening is that there was this continuous rehash Mm -hmm. of the same thing over and over and the the organization kept saying, you know, it's okay if you really feel like you're getting to know these teachings, like if they're feeling repetitive, that's okay, because you will continue to get, there's depth within it. So as you, as you advance, they will mean new things to you, which is true. Yeah. And it, I kept kind of coming up against this, like, it just feels dry. Like it's not, it just lost that kind of. Um, where it was quenching my thirst. It was like, oh, here we go again. I I already, you know, we'd have a sot song or whatever. And it's like, I already kind of can see the thread of where we're going to end up by the end of this. And I ended up leaving that organization um, because it, I recognized when it had served its purpose. And for me, it felt like if I'm going to keep growing, this is a huge, vast universe that has so much to explore and I don't necessarily want to just keep go- drilling in the same well, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> to, but you, I mean, but if that is serving, then, you know, we all have these unique journeys, but, um, but that's, I don't know if that resonates with you. Yeah. You bring up a really important point, And that is that we often get comfortable in our spirituality, but I think spirituality is really about expanding our boundaries, going into new territory. Adyashanti said, spirituality should be a constant discovery of new things. 
And it's very easy to get caught up in, oh, well, my friends are here. This is more like a social club now. And that mm -hmm. is unfortunate. I, I, that's why I give people a lot of different ideas and methods in the Enlightenment Project, because I think you have to keep it fresh. And that's hard to do, mm -hmm. especially if you're in the same system for 20 years. Um, yeah. So I, I often suggest, well, what are you looking for now? What would be, you know, there's a lot of things. There's opening the heart. There's being more uh, sensitive to energy. There's deeper connection with God or some guru. There's being uh, a more peaceful person where you can literally enter into deep peace whenever you want. There's a lot of possibilities. This is a smorgasbord out there. And yeah. And different systems tend to be better at certain things than others. You know, some teachers are very intellectual. If you're trying to open your heart in that system, good luck, because, yeah. you know, it's more of an intellectual system. And the opposite's true. You might want more understanding of the universe, but you're in a devotional system. That's probably not going to do much for you. So you really have to decide what is it that I'm looking for at this point and who might know a lot about that. And what do I need at this point? You know, we people are often using methods from 2,000 years ago, but nobody's using a, a computer from even 20 years ago. Why are we using methods from 2,000 years ago? You know, there's a lot of great methods that people aren't even aware of that have only been invented in the last five years. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to have a hard time meditating, and then I found a method that was only invented in the last five years that puts me into bliss like right away. So, you know, <laughs> I'm glad I know yeah. that now because banging yeah. my head against a wall, trying to stop my thoughts just didn't work for me. Yeah. Well, what do you have to say about the, um, because I, I'm in your book, there's a po point where you were talking about the, you know, the intellectual, like approaching spirituality from, from more of a mental intellectual mm -hmm. state. And then, Versus that, like moving into the heart when it's like, oh, okay, either this is a natural resonance for me, like, oh, I'm more of a devotional person. So this mm -hmm. lineage or these teachings are going to resonate with me more. It's just going to feel like home, home base, you know, where it's yeah. like, oh, okay, well, this is like low hanging fruit for me. I can take it deeper and get more expanded in my heart field, but I don't, I'm very comfortable in this space versus okay, I am a very intellectual person. I'm already in the mind. So I don't necessarily need to approach it from that angle. I want to go someplace where I'm maybe like not so strong. Yeah. You know what I mean? What, what do you think about doing that? Uh, you know, that do you follow what you're, do you lean into where you're comfortable or do you mm -hmm. expand more into develop more underdeveloped areas within you? Yeah, it's a great question. I I would say at first, when you're starting a path, um, do what is comfortable for you, where it might be your strong suit, might be intellect, might be heart, might be body. Um, but after a while, uh, I think it's best to work on your weak leg. So I'm very intellectual. So after a while, I focus more on heart-centered practices. And then after a bunch of years doing that, I realized my weak leg now was body-centered practices. So um, start with your strong leg and then expand into the things that would help you be a more expanded person. And the fact that now 
I feel a lot of love or I feel really connected with my body, which I didn't 20 years ago, feels fantastic and allows me to better serve people because I'm coming from a more full embodied approach rather than just a mental approach. Yeah, I love that. I love too, just again, that the evolution, like letting your practice be a living practice, mm-hmm. you know, and and staying open to what's coming in and what's going to serve. And, you know, there's like, like breath work, for instance, for me personally, that's something that I'll get like, really and I'll I'll it'll start hitting me from multiple places and I'm like okay need to need to up my breath work you know I can mm-hmm. tell that something that's going to serve and I'm kind of in that space right now where I'm like rediscovering breath work and um because it was something that I was really diligent with for a while and then I think I I think it was when I had like a something kind of coming that was a little off balance in my uh respiratory system so I was like well I better kind of put that aside until that heals. But, um, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. You know, I'm, I'm like reattuned to it. And it was such a gift that I had had that break because then like coming back to it, it's fresh again, rather than, and the same with like, if that, for me, I like to have an established meditation practice and I try to keep that, um, consistent, um, and I may bring new elements into it or be working on different things at different times. But I, for, for me, it seems very important to keep that daily meditation. But there might be other people, and I've talked to other people who they're like, well, if I keep meditating kind of day after day after day without any break, then it starts to be, it has less and less meaning. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, it is just, it's, our practices are dynamic in that way. So honoring that dynamic nature of it, you know, like you're saying, it keeps it from getting dry. It keeps it fresh, which is so important. It's mm-hmm. a living thing. One of the things I did, I used to meditate for an hour a day for a lot of years. And then I realized I wasn't integrating the piece of meditation so much into my life. So now instead of meditating for an hour, I meditate for about uh, 40 minutes, but I do it at two minutes at a time. So I take like 20 two minute breaks during the day. And I find that that leads to my life being much more peaceful while doing all the things that we have to do. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's, it is this, uh, you know, what are we meditating for? It's, it's not to tick the box of meditation to be like, okay, I did it. Any more so than you know you're gonna than becoming a spiritual master by putting your butt in a pew you know mm-hmm. every su- Sunday or Saturday or um, you know if you're just there to like tick the box <laughs> it's like you you get out of it what you put into it yeah. but having that um, you know if you meditate once or twice a day for a few minutes at a time and then you get up off of the cushion and it's like you know, you're, you're just running a thousand miles an hour through your life and not really ever again, reflecting on yourself beyond the physical. Um, you know, we have opportunities to incorporate that feeling that we get in meditation, but throughout the day. And that can be, that can be difficult to kind of remember, oh yeah, I'm more than my body. I'm more than my to-do list. I'm more than my thoughts. I'm, 
you know, but um, over time, ideally, then, you know, this is the fruit of the meditation that we can, whether we're taking like deliberately taking two minute breaks throughout the day, or we're just tuning in more and more just for a few moments to be like, oh, yes, remember who I am, you mm-hmm. know, is, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, can you talk about some of the, and you, you sort of touched on this a little bit, but some of the common myths around enlightenment? Well, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people see as a on or off thing, but in reality, we go into any moment where you are feeling deep peace or are aware of awareness, or you feel merged with your environment is a moment of enlightenment where you're not looking at the world through the lens of the ego. And, you know, that can happen. Not it's, You don't need to even do spiritual work for 30 years. You could just relax into this moment, you know, and hopefully have a moment like that. The question then becomes, what's in the way of that? So that becomes part of your spiritual path, looking for the obstacles, looking for the childhood traumas that you haven't processed, things like that. Um, but, you know, enlightenment doesn't solve your problems either. You know, you you still have relationship issues, money issues. You're just coming at it from uh, less of a ego-based way of dealing with life and more like you're just present. You're a presence of love in this moment. And as you learn to extend those moments, you become a better servant of, of humanity, really. You know, I asked 100 spiritual leaders what the purpose of human life was, and they all said basically the same thing. Find the love and peace inside yourself. And once you have that to some extent, go out and help the world. So, you know, it's really a matter of trial and error, finding people who and methods that inspire you that you can do the first. You know, you find some peace and love. And then you're in a very good position to see what's needed in front of you. Mm. I love that. Thank you. Can you think of of one piece of advice that would be helpful to any spiritual seeker who's listening right now? Well, I ask that of a lot of teachers. Uh, One piece of advice, I think, is that um, it's good to have what I call an experimental attitude. Like, I'm going to try this for a week or a month to see what it does for me. You know, you can't really learn about these things from reading just a book. You have to try different methods, different teachers. Put yourself in their way for like a week or a month and then see what effect it has on you. And and when it doesn't have any effect on you, that's a success. You know, not to do that. You know, you know, to try something else. Everything's available now. So um, start with the greatest hits, like I mentioned in my book, and see if those work for you. And always have that, that sense like maybe the next great thing is going to uh, be around the corner. Like, for example, as I said, I struggled with meditation for a lot of years. And then I read uh, about a meditation method where you just list all the people you've ever appreciated or loved. Oh, I love this. Yes. For me, that was like 50 people. And Uh so I I made a list of all the people I've ever appreciated or loved. And and then I spend like one minute thinking about what I appreciate and love about them and and feeling my love and connection towards them. 
and then sending them some love and then going on to the next person. Well, you do that for 40 people, you're like bathing yourself in love. And when um, I was at Stanford and they did an EEG of me in that state, they they were saying, like, what the hell are you doing now? We've These are the most enlightened brainwaves of any Westerner we've ever seen. Well, they thought it wasn't working, right? Right, right. They thought yeah. it wasn't working. And yeah. Now, it's not that I'm a great meditator. Anytime I tried other meditation methods, they were like, well, it doesn't look impressive at all. But when I did that particular <laughs> method, it was like, oh, my God, this is off the charts. And yeah. uh, so, you know, sometimes just experimenting and, and trying stuff, you might find something that really resonates for you. And it doesn't, you don't need to spend 20 years. You might be able to experience something very profound tomorrow. Yeah. Can you build out that, um, that practice a little bit more? Because the, the background of that particular practice is fascinating. Can you tell a little bit of the history of that? Yeah, there was a guy named Lester Levinson who uh, was, after a severe heart attack, told that he was going to die. There was, your heart was so dam- ba- badly damaged, there's nothing we can do. So he figured on his last couple of days of life, he would focus on people he loved and remember times that he felt connected to them. Well, lo and behold, as he did this, he didn't die. In fact, he started to be filled with energy. And within a month, he's like running 20 miles a day. And he told his doctors that this is going on. His doctor said, we told you not even to tie your own shoes because you'd probably die. You know, and here he's running 20 miles. Well, long story short, he lives another 45 years and he invents something called the Sedona method, which is a great method for letting go of negative emotions. But what got him to be an enlightened master was just this meditation of, of focusing on love and feeling love. And it transformed him. And I find when I do it, it transforms my day because when you bathe yourself in love that deeply, there's an energy, there's a frequency, you know, to some extent, uh, spiritual teachers say that is our nature to be pure love and to Mm -hmm. dip yourself in that so deeply uh, really affects your, your consciousness very profoundly. Right. Yeah. I mean, it builds up this beautiful energy in the heart. I mean, the way that I see it for lack of a better word is just, you know, building, building, building. And it's just like, you know, you become encapsulated in this high frequency love vibe and your brain is swimming in it and you've got that brain heart coherence. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then that is like affecting your external reality as well, because it's, it's radiating from you too. So yeah, people like I mean, to hang out with that amount of love. You know, when when I'm in yeah. that state, uh, you know, people just gravitate towards me and miracles start happening because you're in a higher vibration. Right. So that's that's fascinating that you get that reflection from the external and then you add to it the the physical healing that w- that happened with Lester. Yeah. Um that is just it's so profound. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, how mysterious is this place? <laughs> it's so mysterious. Very. <laughs> yes. So cool. 
Um, do you, would you like to share a little bit? I know you've kind of, um, had a lot of like, because you've been immersed in this for so long. Um, I know that you have some like miracle, you know, some stories around miracles and and Mm -hmm. magic. Would, does anything come to mind that you'd like to share? I find that stuff so inspirational. Well, early in my journey, I found those things very inspirational as evidence. Like there's a lot more than going on that meets the eye. Um, later I said, you know, okay, I, I now know that, so I don't need to collect these stories. But uh-huh. um, a recent story, which really tweaked my brain, um, sometimes electronic things go weird around me, and 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 I've never known why. Uh, but recently I was recording a song called Letting Go on my phone at my desk right here, and I heard a, a plunk. And I thought my iPhone had dropped to the floor, uh, but I couldn't find it. You know, how far could it go? I haven't moved. So I'm looking for my iPhone. And finally, I I have the thought, maybe I will call my phone from my landline so I can find it. So I call my phone. I hear it ringing. And it ends up, I follow the ring. And it's in my closet in a lockbox. What? Yeah. It's in my closet in a lockbox. Now, I have no clue how it got there, but the song I was writing was how um, we always think we know what's going on and there's more than meets the eye going on. You should just let go and appreciate it. And, you know, some some force, some poltergeist, some ghost, I don't know. I have no clue. Uh, found my phone and decided to put it 30 feet away in a lockbox. Oh my and, gosh. You know, I've I've had maybe a dozen of those things happen in my life. That was the most recent one. It just made my mind like, you know, there was steam coming out of my ears. I'm trying to figure out. I go, okay, I, th- there's no explanation. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and we really don't know how anything works. So I will give you an explanation of how that happened and how iPhones work and everything. It's through something called PFM. Do you know what PFM is? No. It stands for pure freaking magic. And when you get down to it, that's how a lot of things work. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's so fascinating and funny. I mean, I don't know how it felt in the moment, but there was some mischievous, funny energy that uh, was was playing with you there. Absolutely. Well, how can people find out more about your books and working with you and so forth? Well, I, I do have a website, theenlightenmentproject.net. And when people go there, they get a free chapter of the book and my five favorite methods for quieting the mind quickly and an ebook uh, and a guided meditation about those five methods. Because I think that a lot of these methods are brand new. People don't know about them. And they work really well, so uh, they can go to theenlightenmentproject.net. Um, I also have a, a, a podcast called Awareness Explorers, where people can listen to these interviews and uh, connect with me that way. So those are, are some of the ways that people can connect. Oh, wonderful. Well, this has been, it's been enlightening, and it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you for the work that you're doing to help advance people along their paths. And and thank you for being here today. My pleasure. Great questions. 
Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love for you to do me one quick favor, which is to think of one person who would benefit from hearing this content. Let them know you're thinking of them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.